So Spencer's first date. Yeah. So uh, anyways, she came over, uh, brought coffee. That's nice of her. That was nice of her. (laughs) Done right there. Uh, And the date, the plan was we were going to go up to Mount Hood. She was going to get a lesson. I was going to go skiing lesson, uh, snowboarding lesson, snowboarding. Yeah, lesson. and I was going to go snowboard uh, by myself, like and do all the fun runs before like her classes ended because I knew afterwards we'd be stuck on like yeah, the bunny yeah. hill for we're a while. We're on a date, right? you know. We'll spend time. Exactly. Together. Fine. All right, we'll go down the same slope again. <laughs> Move it, kid. Um, and uh, but I was also very broke at the time, so like everything, like I got on my bank account and I was like. Okay, I can afford her lesson. And I had a, you know, like I couldn't pay for my electric bill, but I could afford like the season pass. So, like, I didn't have to worry about that. I had a pass. <laughs> and uh, anyway, so we get up to the mountains. Uh, point being, I know how much money was in my bank account because I was like, I got to buy lunch too. Mm-hmm. Um, so we get up there. I get her in, in a lesson and it ends at like right around lunchtime. And I'm like, sweet. And then they were like, Hey, we're doing the special for 20 bucks. You can also get a lesson. And I was like, maybe now I can learn how to like jump and land. Cause I'd been snowboarding a while. I never, never figured out. I figured out the jumping part. Never figured out how to land. <laughs> this is an important second part of the process. Yeah. This is, this is two parts. <laughs> Turns out they're you know, both equally important. You don't uh, have a pilot's license, do you? Yeah. <laughs> no, no. They, yeah. they keep saying no. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I go out have a great time, uh, and I'm down in the area where she's supposed to be and, uh, the lesson's over and I'm seeing people who were in her class, but I'm not seeing her. And, um, I'm like, man, where, where'd she go? And I ask one of them, they're like, oh, I think she went to the medical area. And so I run over to the, uh, medical, uh, clinic Did you on the mountain. snowboard? I ran because okay. it's flat. Okay. Uh, well, <laughs> It'd be funnier if you did snowboard. I'm going to get there eventually. Can someone push me? <laughs> L- little lift. <laughs> Guys, anybody? No? All right. Yeah, so I got there and she was there incapacitated uh, with uh, some kind of uh, shoulder injury. I think they uh, said uh, she in- damaged her rotator cuff. And so she's on Vicodin now uh, to manage the pain. And they're like, hey, no more snowboarding. And I'm going like, man, oh, man, this is like, I feel really terrible. Do you, what do you want to do? Do you want to go home? Are you feeling okay? Do you want lunch? You know, cause I was going to buy you lunch too. And she was like, <clears> you know, I'm, I'm okay right now. It doesn't hurt that bad. Let's go get some lunch. So she goes up and she orders something and I'm doing the math in my head. So, cause I'm like, based on what she orders will affect what I order. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and oh, so, so this is broke, broke. Let me get a glass of water uh, <laughs> with one ice cube. And anybody who turned in their tray with extra fries on it. Yeah, uh, I'll take all of that, please. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, so uh, I'm like, okay, I can order this. And uh, we eat our food, and the guy comes by, and he's like, all right, and here's the check. And I'm like, I got this. Yeah. Uh, hand the card back, you know, garçon. <laughs> <laughs> and he takes it, runs off, and comes back, and he's like, Hey man, you got a different card? And I went like, no. no, what, what, what's, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, decline, bro. Sorry. And I was like, can you run it again? He's like, yeah, I already did. And I was like, oh fuck! Like, I. I and then I'm looking at her, and she's like, I got it. 
I'm sorry. I'll pay you back. Hey, at least you didn't have to wash dishes. I know I have the money. I don't understand. And she's like, it's fine. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Thankfully, she's whacked out on Vikings. Thanks, drug companies. (laughs) Anyway, we go down to my car and... uh, I'm apologizing profusely for her having to pay and for her getting injured. And then I go to find my car keys and I can't find my car keys. That That's uh, Spencer patting himself down, by the way, looking for yeah. car keys. Yeah. Nice visual for a podcast. Thanks. It's yeah, good. no, no. I thought this sound would, uh, you know, make it very clear what I was doing. But fine. You <laughs> I know just what? want to point out all you had was a rhythmic thumping. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's your heart pounding Is because that... you're worried about the, how the date's going. It was going badly at that point. Because <laughs> uh, she was, she didn't really, like, we were friends, but we, you know, like, it, it's still, it's a strange experience when, like, the first physical, like, real significant physical contact that's made is, like, them also searching through your shit to find the car keys. <laughs> <laughs> like, where you have to have them. That's what you're saying. Is and you so then, yeah, we kind of, like, look back on the mountain and I'm like, well, <laughs> there's somewhere up there. So we go back into the lodge and uh, we I go do all the runs that I did looking in hopes that I will find shiny metallic Because that things. seemed like to have a high percentage of success. It seemed better than sitting there and just apologizing a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and I was doing something which felt better. And then I came back uh, empty-handed, oddly enough. Quick question, side note. Uh, did you think to stop at the Lost and Found before you went and searched every run? Yes, we did ask. Okay. And so they were like, <laughs> no. <laughs> but i came back and they were like hey somebody did say they found some like car keys were turned in and i went like they have to be mine and uh they're like but oh. they didn't know where that person was so there was a lot, another little wait where we were trying to figure it out and i just like started running to the lifties and i found at you know the other end of the whole thing i've there was some guy who's like yeah i got some car keys what what are you driving and i went a geo metro because that was true mm-hmm. and he went yeah, here you go, man. Nobody else would say that. And I was like, oh, Nobody's yeah. going to lie to get a geometro. So, yeah, I I, uh, I ran back, told her the good news. We get in the car. We're on our way down, and I'm going like, I can't believe that happened. That's crazy. And just outside of Sandy, like three or four miles outside of Sandy, uh, the car just dies and does not turn over. Like, won't start, won't go. And there we were stuck on the side of the road. I called uh, our boss at the time, who's a good friend of ours, and he uh, drove. He went and borrowed a flatbed pickup truck from one of his friends, drove up to rescue us, but brought another friend with him. So Amber had to spend the uh, entire time driving back to Vancouver, uh, sitting on my lap while these two uh, discussed... Uh, inappropriate things <laughs> <laughs> about gen- uh, general inappropriate or about you? Uh, no, generally inappropriate. Okay. I I will add that she was on uh, when they finally came to rescue us. They found us. She was on her phone with her dad, going like, "Yeah, they finally like, oh my god, they're finally here. We're <laughs> out of here." And like, my friend opens the door because uh, it's steamy and goes like, "Oh, it smells like sex in here." Great. Great. Ah, yeah. You know, the, the best part of this is I, I uh, went home and uh, you know, she got dropped off and my buddy came over and was like, dude, how was the date, man? Like, was it good? <laughs> and I was like, ah, I like, there's so much that happened. I don't even want to talk about it. And he's like, oh, 
all right, like bad. And I was like, yeah, dude, it was, it was a horrible date. Like, I mean, like, and all on you. Yeah. All on me. Like there was just like, what else could go wrong? And I was like, I just want to watch TV, man. He was like, okay. I went and pressed the power button on the TV and the power button <laughs> fell out of the TV. And I went, I'm going to bed. That's it. I'm done. That is it. So now my, now my question is because for those who don't know, uh, Spencer is now married to this woman. And Amazing. Two kids. Yeah. Right. So what did you say to convince her to go on that second date? Did you hold the money that you owed her over her head as repayment? <laughs> or <laughs> if you ever want that lunch money back. <laughs> I wonder the I wonder what line you laid down to make her go, eh, I'll give one more chance. Emperor, if you're out there, let me know what I said. Uh, <laughs> I don't, it, had, I, yeah. it had to be good. It had to be a solid. I mean, I'll take credit for it. Sure. (laughs) Yeah. Nailed it. So anyway, that is uh, Spencer's first date with his now wife. So uh, welcome to medical stuff. (laughs) My my name is Mark. I really want to know what you said to her, Frankum. That's Chris. I'm just playing with my knob Sphinxton over there. And this is Spencer. I don't know how I married Oliver over here. So yeah, Yeah, that's, uh, that's a good point. How are you married? That's I mean, it's a credible first date. It's a, it's an amazing first date. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah. like again, and it was all on you. Yeah, it's like every bad. It wasn't like y'all just didn't get along. No, it wasn't like no. There was a personality conflict. It was. Which, by the way, if you want to be a guest on our show, you too can come here and get shit on by both of us. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, make you relive uh, terrible times in your life and then rub it in. <laughs> Spencer spending time away from his family to uh, be, get abused like this. Well, hey, we're back for part two. We are. Medical myths and mysteries. So last uh, podcast, we went over what makes a good study, how to maybe try and uh, learn how to think and not what to think. Yeah, and and the importance of doing that. Right. I think today we're going to cover some of the stuff that's out there. Right. Uh, So the first thing we're going to talk about is homeopathy. So homeopathy is a a belief system I'm going to go with. That's the best way to put it. Uh, Actually, really quick. I'm going to interject. I just want to point out homeopathy is near and dear to my heart for one reason. It was kind of my introduction to being a skeptic because this was kind of the first thing that I had seen uh, that was so prevalent in stores and in treatments and in literature that, uh, well, as you're about to find out, doesn't pan out. No. And so it was kind of my introduction to uh, to being more skeptical about the crap I read. Right. So homeopathy is an alternative medical system that was developed in Germany at the end of the 18th century. I did not realize it went back that far. Yeah. Hmm. So uh, supporters of homeopathy point to two unconventional theories, one of them being that like cures like. And we'll go into a little bit of examples of those later. Uh, But this is the notion that disease can be cured by a substance that produces similar symptoms in healthy people. And they also go by the law of minimum dose, Hmm. meaning that... The less, the lower the dose of the medication, the greater its effectiveness. Yeah. And what they're talking about there is like, let's say, let's say because mercury, for example, let's say mercury causes nausea and vomiting. Well, in a homeopathic medication, you could take mercury and give that to somebody because then it would cure their nausea and vomiting, but you have to dilute it first. And the more you dilute it, the better. So what they'll do is they'll put the mercury in a saline or just water. Actually, water is the most common thing. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, 
some water and they keep diluting that down again and again and again. Um, they actually basically to the point that it's, it's either non-existent. Even yeah. Yeah. Or so you're not a, even drinking mercury. Yeah. No, yeah. it's not. You know, so, you know, the, the concept of like versus uh, like cures like uh, was suggested by uh, Hippocrates, right? Hippocrates. I was joking, Chris. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, hey, I don't know. <laughs> Watch Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, okay? Uh, did, oh, did you know they're doing another one of those? Are they really? Yeah, same actors. Nice. Yeah. So uh, about 400 BC, when he prescribed a small amount of mandrake root to treat mania, knowing that it produces mania in much larger doses. So a large dose causes mania. So a small dose will cure it. Obviously. I want to know who thought of this, like... Like versus like, like treats like, like that had to be some, somebody saw that and they're like, oh, I guess we'd fix that by just making more things that cause that. Well, and a lot of, a lot of this kind of gained, if I'm correct here, a lot of this kind of gained momentum for the time being uh, due to tuberculosis, believe it or not. So tuberculosis uh, was very prevalent. Um, It used to be very prevalent and it was lethal and Early on, we didn't have very good treatments for uh, tuberculosis to the point that essentially doing nothing at all was better than some of the treatments that uh, we were attempting as a society, uh, particularly, well, or at least in European countries. And that helped actually uh, homeopathy gain some speed because there were homeopathic tuberculosis treatment centers where people were going and they were essentially getting nothing because the solutions were so dilute. They were essentially just getting water and that turned out to be better and some of the treatments that were being uh, attempted in the 18th century. And that helped it gain a lot of speed. So, yeah. Uh, then you fast forward to the 16th century and you come across uh, Paracelsus. And he wrote Similia Similibus Curantor. What does that mean, Spencer? What makes a man ill also cures him. <laughs> Does Spencer? <laughs> Why do we bring him on? I don't know. Uh, stories about his goofy life, right? Seriously, there he goes. We just wanted shit. to berate him. So now you have naturopathy, which is a broad spectrum description of which uh, in which pr- practitioners are more likely to prescribe multiple treatment approaches, like supplements, herbs, and dietary adjustments, versus homeopathy, which is a single system of medicine, in which pract- practitioners focus totally on the application of homeopathic medicines. Now, we can talk about a a homeopathic doctor versus a naturopathic doctor. Can we? Yeah. All right. Yeah. What's the difference? Uh, Naturopaths actually go through medical school. They go through an accredited medical school. Now, stick with me and stop making faces. (laughs) Chris. (laughs) (laughs) So, a naturopathic doctor, an ND, does go and get... They have to have a bachelor's degree and they will go to the same, they'll go to a school that is accredited by the same accreditation uh, organization that uh, does accreditation for medical schools. The biggest difference is not the information that they learn, but the philosophy behind it. Now you have an MD, right? You can also have a doctor of osteopath, which is a DO. Mm -hmm. And... They both study medicine. They sure. both learn the same information, but they have different philosophies about how to treat the body. Generally, a doctor of osteopath looks at the whole body versus a specific illness inside the body. 
Naturopathic doctors go through a four-year degree. They can prescribe in a lot of states. They can prescribe medications, and they have a, a board that they have to take a board uh, have to pass, just like an MD. And it's just that they're basic. They're more inclined towards alternative medicines in conjunction with prescription medicines or prescribed treatments. I was under the impression that they went through uh, far less clinical hours. They may. As well. They may. Uh, well, okay. Now, you go to your general practitioner. Yeah. They've gone through, they go through the same number of clinical hours in school, but they don't have the residency afterwards. Versus like, say, a cardiologist. Right. Which may go to four or five years of residency once they get their MD. Which is going to be additional clinical hours in their mm -hmm. chosen field. Right. There is a uh, naturopath who has since gone away from that field, and she writes Confessions of a Naturopath, and she talks about uh, the schooling outline and how it compares to that of a medical doctor or a doctor of osteopath or, you know, like standard sort of things. And she does highlight, that's one of the things that she highlights is uh, the clinical hours and how they're approached and, you know, what they're required for a doctor uh, right. to graduate and what they're required for a naturopath to graduate. And that's it, that. That's kind of one of the things that she says is like completely lacking there, or one of the things that she says was uh, was failing. And now she's a PhD candidate for, uh, oh god, I can't remember something. Okay, okay, wow, strong work. Yeah, <laughs> she's a confessions PhD. of a naturopath. There you go. Okay, so, but there, as opposed to a homeopath doctor, which has uh, far less schooling. <laughs> This is generally more of, would be, I guess, and more of like a, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Village medicine man. <laughs> is that is that too unfair? Well, no, I was going to say, when you go in and you study under somebody else. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Like uh, an apprenticeship. Apprenticeship, yeah, thank yeah, you. Gotcha. It'd be more like an apprenticeship under somebody else. So there's no real yeah. regulation on what you're learning or... Yeah. The basically learning which homeopathic remedies cure allegedly cure what yeah. whatever and the, yeah I, i'm say. going to be upfront with my bias i don't buy any of this stuff Home homeopathy no what you guys are saying it's clearly i'm, I'm the naysayer there okay. has to be a naysayer <laughs> oh gotcha gotcha <laughs> so uh the claims of homeopathic doctors which are also called homeopaths uh they weaken these ingredients by adding water or alcohol they shake the mixture yeah which is called potentiation. Potentiza Good Lord. Potentiation? There you go. Uh, yeah, sure, we'll go with that one. Potentization. Okay. Because it's not potentiation, it's potentization because you're reducing the potency of the of whatever it is you're mixing. Ah, but remember, in homeopathic land, you're You want to do that. Yeah, and because that will increase its uh, effectiveness. Also, they, I mean, again, they uh, lower the dose, and that means the more powerful the medicine, what Chris was just talking about. But in fact, what ends up happening is the remedies no longer contain any molecules of the original substance. And then they can bring them out in uh, various forms, like sugar pellets. Mm -hmm. uh, I like to get the sugar pellet form of my medication constantly. I would love uh, that. Liquid drops, creams, gels, tablets. That was an example of what we're talking about here, where light cures like. Red onion makes your eyes water. So that is obviously going to be something that cures your allergies because allergies make your eyes water. And that is – whenever I hear it, it almost sounds like you're making it up to be funny. But no, that's really 
Mm-hmm. That's really the, the that was a legit process. example off of a homeopath. Yeah. And if you go to, uh, there are some more prominent homeopath websites and they often try and compare it to, oh, how, for example, like a vaccine works where a lot of vaccines use a deactivated or uh, right. dead uh, example of what it's trying to vaccinate against into the body. And well, that's like cures like that's a completely different process. What you're doing there is you're training the body's natural response to be ready when the actual bug comes in. Right. That's completely that's completely different. Yeah, they make it that. weaker or they make it dead so that you don't actually get sick from it. Right. And so the stuff where they're taking red onion or they're taking mercury or they're taking any substance. I believe there's a duck liver that's famous where they had a, they used a single duck liver. And they're able to divide it up and dilute it down so much and make so much medicine in it. It's called like the million dollar duck. Wow. Yeah, it's an example you can look up. But well, yeah. here's some here's some common uh, treatments for other ailments uh, that they'll use. Poison ivy. Because you definitely want to ingest poison ivy. Right. Well, well I mean, remember, you... you're not ingesting yeah. any poison ivy. <laughs> at least you won't be. <laughs> yeah. <That's>, yeah. <laughs> Uh, white arsenic, which I don't know we, why we need to call it white arsenic. I think any arsenic is probably going to be bad for you. Uh, crushed whole bees. I, crushed whole bees. <laughs> I, I don't know what we're trying to cure with this poison. <laughs> and an herb called uh, arnica. I have a buzzing in the air. Get the bees. <laughs> Get no, no, the no. bees. No, no, the crushed whole ones. The cru- yeah. yeah. And then dilute them down. So there have been many <clears throat> studies done on homeopathy. And the problem is, is with homeopathy, homeopathy and some of the other things we're going to talk about today, people are using this to replace medicine. Yeah. Medicine. Legitimate medicine. Yeah. And there's just no positive studies where they will, like Chris was talking about with the uh, vaccinations, they will try and attach themselves to legitimate medicine mm-hmm. to justify what they're trying to sell you or what they're trying to tell you. Unfortunately, there's, like I said, there's no studies to back this up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think the interesting thing to point out is, uh, is that, uh, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the people like, but they have an effect, like I've seen them work, you know, and in some cases, the inactive ingredient to like, you know, they're like, oh, we've got this homeopathic sleep aid. It helps me go to sleep at night. I love it. You know, I don't like the ambience. I don't like the trazodones and, you know, the other medications that people tend to take for their side effects. They're like, I really like this homeopathic sleep aid. And then you look at the inactive, you know, the active ingredient or, you know, is whatever, you know, crushed, crushed bees. bees. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> cru- oh, sorry. Crushed whole bees. Right. Uh, diluted down, you know, 10, you know, 100,000 times. Um, and then the other part is like alcohol, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. They mix in alcohol, so which yeah. will actually make you sleepy. So. Yeah. And, and there are people who, who do the, you know, they, they're like, I'll, I will overdose on this homeopathic sleep aid. I'll take all of this now. Cause they're really just getting like a nice, uh, you know, get a good buzz going, you know, seven ounces of, of alcohol. Yeah. Take a shot. Well, then you also have, uh, just the flat out placebo effect Yep. where when you take something, and you believe it's going to work, it's going to help you. Yeah, and yeah. last week we talked about uh, different ways to rule out the, the placebo effect right. uh, in tests. And that's where homeopathic remedies typically fall short in a test. Right. You have your control group, which is not receiving anything. And then you have the other group, which is a, receiving a homeopathic remedy. They're not able to really find any significant difference from right. the control group. Yeah. It's important to include the sham study. Yeah. 
with the sham study yeah have you seen have you heard of this they'll do sh- like the now uh is this you- the sham wow guy no no <laughs> man i miss that guy he's in jail or what or went to jail i don't know if he's still in jail drug yeah, charges you know the guy who i really miss oxyclean oh billy, billy mays yeah, billy yeah. Mays. yeah he's yeah. dead yeah or in jail in another. no no he's you know he died in a plane crash i believe no he, no, he had, yeah, a he had a heart attack, he had a heart heart attack. attack. after the plane cocaine crash. induced heart attack <laughs> <laughs> we don't know that okay we don't know if it was cocaine well induced. yeah i'm just saying that he died from a heart attack and then also that he had cocaine inside him okay those things are facts so the sham yeah so they'll actually do uh like uh you know like for surgeries and stuff uh they'll do sham surgeries so they'll go in they'll actually put people to like They'll, they'll put people out. They'll do, uh, you know, uh, procedures. They'll they'll pretend to do procedures. So they'll actually make a cut. They'll do stitches and the whole thing. And the person will come out uh, from under anesthesia and they will think that a surgery was done on them that was not actually done on them. And like they'll measure outcomes based on that. Like, oh, hey, this person is reporting that they've got relief because they thought that they had this surgery done. So was this a legitimate? This was a legitimate study. They do this with acupuncture as well, where they do sham acupuncture. It turns out people, uh, if they think, if it looks like their hand, uh, they will think that a needle has gone through. They'll report, as long as they visualize a needle going in them, they will report that acupuncture was done. How do they, so if they think it was their hand? It's the power of uh, perception. Is it their hand? Who's it hand? is not. It is not yeah. their hand. So then, whose hand is it? Uh, and I why do they, they use mannequin it? hands? And people re- they'll see the needle and they'll go. I've Ouch. seen something about this. Yeah. There was a TV show on uh, so it's science. Like a, there's like a box or an apparatus, though. That, exactly. That, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, what they were uh, in the show was uh, called Brain Games. Yeah. Great show if you get a chance to watch it. It's a really All cool right. show. But they had people set up where um, they were touching their hand, touching their hand, then they kind of switched it out to a mannequin hand and people still felt, but they couldn't really see whether it was their hand or not. Yeah. And they continued to feel the motion. person touching. And then they took an ax out and chopped the hand and people flipped out. Yeah. Cause yeah. They they try, and they were like, I actually felt pain when you hit me. Yeah. And like, yeah, well we didn't hit you though. Yeah. So that's the, that's the power of perception. That's amazing. How do you get funding for that study? So we're going to do fake surgeries on people <laughs> and yeah. then tell them afterwards that it was nothing. There's like a candid camera around the corner. How do you tell the person it was that you didn't do anything at that point? And how do you not get sued? Yeah. Hey, this is going to be awkward. Um, (laughs) Remember that shoulder surgery we did? (laughs) Quote, unquote. (laughs) Yeah, it's going to be more of a didn't. (laughs) Uh, But so homeopathy, again, I mean, it's near and dear to my heart. And it's one of those things that... This is where how to think can really come in. And you got to use some critical thinking skills. So homeopathy time and time again has been shot down by various studies. Yet homeopaths really tend to cling on to different explanations for that. For example, you know, homeopathy affects everyone differently. So people may need a different dose or they may need something different that the study didn't capture. Or there's some reason that they tend to cling on to as to why um, these studies typically fail a placebo-controlled test. And – Here's one of the things you have to sort of think about. If you can't prove that home the, the mechanisms behind homeopathy work, then you have to wonder how did someone discover this in the first place? If you can't design an experiment to show that it exists, how did somebody come up with this? 
So if someone came to your house and said, hey, man, there's gold underneath your house. All you got to do is buy a shovel for me. You can dig down and get the gold. You say, shit, yeah. You buy that shovel. You start digging underneath your own house. No gold. You go back to the guy who goes, oh, you just got to keep digging. Just keep digging. Dig in a different spot around your house. Keep digging. No gold. You pay scientists. They do soil samples. They do core samples. They come back. They say, hey, man, there's no gold. Sooner or later, you kind of start wondering, why the fuck did that guy think there was gold under my house in the first place? Easy. To sell you the damn shovel. That's my thoughts on homeopathy. Nailed it. <laughs> so, um... Aside from Chris's mindless rantings over there. Hashtag science shovel. <laughs> <laughs> uh, something a little more legitimate. So in 2010, the UK House of Commons uh, Science and Technology Committee, the STC. Uh, oh, yeah, the STC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Of course. Uh, they released a report. Uh, Are you down with STC? <laughs> yeah, you know me. <laughs> uh, so in this report, they released... Uh, they concluded that homeopathy homeopathy is a failed science, and I like this quote coming up at the end, and should be completely abandoned. <laughs> no further support in the national health system, the uh, medical branch mm -hmm. of the British government that takes, uh, you know, runs everything medical. Yep. Uh, no, uh, no further support in the NHS or further research should be done following that the British Medical Association has openly called, and I like this, for the MH NHS to ban on homeopathy, Conga practiced witchcraft. Yeah. Harsh. Yeah. You know, and then you follow that up in 2015 for a comprehensive study in Australia, where they conclude that no health conditions for which there is a reliable evidence that home homeopathy is effective. You know, and so you have two national-based uh, organizations that have studied this. And if I remember correctly reading from the article, they reviewed like 2,200 different studies yeah. for the Australian re report. Damn. Um, you know, and then you, you get things in 2016, the FDA has issued a warning against using homeopathic teething tablets and gels because of possible health risks to infants and children. So you're actually doing harm. So, I mean, I am a believer in, hey, man, <laughs> Yeah. Don't take, don't touch the brown acid because it's not particularly good, but hey man, it's your trip. Sure. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. if you feel you're getting benefit from something, I'm yeah. not going to believe in it, but that's your trip once it's, until it starts hurting people. Yeah. And that's where these, and I mean, like you've already mentioned, but that's where these things are a problem for me. And I can tell you, uh, as a paramedic, I have now run several calls where someone has taken uh, an unproven remedy. In place of their prescribed medications right. and are worse off for it. Um, recently, twice, children with asthma uh, using a, we'll talk about them in a little bit here, but uh, using an essential oil instead of their inhaler. Right. And the problem with breathing problems is that once they start going south, they go south quickly because the proper medications become harder and harder to deliver as their airways start clamping down. And unfortunately, in two cases now, I've had children who were given uh, something that is not prescribed and is not proven to relieve asthma uh, instead of their asthma medications that made the call a whole lot harder. They're both fine, but um, it's a call that didn't need to happen. Right. And so then I've had one patient, this is a while ago, that was treated with uh, – a relative of his has suggested that he'd come off of his uh, cardiac meds and start taking homeo uh, homeopathic remedies. And that relative was actually on scene. And this gentleman is dead right. from it. 
he had heart problems and came off all his heart meds, started taking just homeopathic remedies instead, and uh, ended up starting having some heartburn one day, wanted to go to his doctor. This relative told him he shouldn't go to his doctor because his doctor is going to put him back on all those. This is a quote, caustic medication, mm -hmm. which, by the way, caustic has something to do with pH level, uh, which has nothing to do with this guy's medications. But anyway, uh, and what he's actually having, that heartburn, was actually him having a heart attack. Right. And had he gone to his doctor, he wouldn't be dead. But he's dead. Right. This is why this stuff gets to me so much. And we talked about it in the first episode about being being a skeptic. Yeah. It's okay to have a healthy sense of skepticism. Absolutely. But you have to apply that across the board. Right. I'm skeptic. I'm, you know, I'm being skeptical of the medications doctor's giving me. Yeah. Then you need to be equally skeptical of what your family member's telling you. And, that, and that's, that's a good point. That, that, that's a good thing to say because if you require the medications that you take to have good studies and evidence behind them before you'll even touch them, how come you don't have the same requirement of a homeopathic remedy or of an essential oil? Why is it that the only thing you need to hear is from your good friend, who, by the way, is trying to sell you these things in a multi-level marketing uh, setup, uh, and then it's good for you? Right. Why is that? Because we, whether this is an inherent human thing or a societal thing at this point in time, mm -hmm. have an inherent trust of the distrust of our government. And I'm not saying that that's not unwarranted. I'm just saying that to say that medications that are being prescribed to you by a pharmaceutical company that have been approved by the government are all part of a big conspiracy. Mm -hmm. The problem I have when we get into that argument is Bill Clinton couldn't get a Hummer in the <laughs> Oval Office. There were only two people there, and that still got out. Well, so the, you're yeah. expecting tens of thousands of people to be in on this conspiracy and somebody not talk about it? Well, and, I, and this is something that I actually love to say, is that if you believe in a global conspiracy uh, to promote vaccines, even though they're deadly for you, then it would actually make more sense that you believe that we're visited by space invaders because it would take fewer people to keep that secret i i think uh i think you hit on a, a point about sort of how humans work and that is we like to think that we are based on logic you know like i i like to think that i have this rational idea uh behind I, the way that i literally thought you were gonna say rash uh, rash <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think i have got this, this rash, I got this rash. Uh, <laughs> I guess I should tell Amber about it. <laughs> it's been long enough. I think you've done enough to Amber yeah. just on the front page. Of course, the worst part is you yeah. say, Amber, I got a rash. She's like, yeah, I've been meaning to tell you something. <laughs> Amber would not. That's mean. Yeah. I'm just saying, if uh, someone's car broke down and I had to catch dinner with my injured shoulder, <laughs> I don't know. I might try to, might try to escape that. <laughs> Anyway, we're, we're never going to wow, another all guest right. again. <laughs> now, this uh, is the last guest we'll ever have. <laughs> well, she's not going to let us come up. She's not going to let him come up and play with us anymore. No, so. yeah, that's yeah. true. Uh, no, so uh, we like to think that we are rational people that we build our beliefs based on the evidence. But really, what we do is we have our beliefs and then we look for things that sort of support them. And so I'm more inclined to believe uh, the narrative of a friend who I trust because we're we're just sort of emotional people. We 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 base our uh, beliefs uh, often on emotion. 
Um, well, also on intuition. Uh, and on intuition. And so, uh, you know, like when you, a friend uh, that you trust, that you like, that you respect, uh, tells you that uh, they have, you know, this medicine that's been working that would work better. Of crushed uh, whole bees. Yeah, of crushed whole bees. Uh and you know they they explain how it works and you you know but they don't get it but hey it, you know like your friend is telling you this you want to believe them and so you're more likely to do that you're less likely to be deceived by the friend that you know than by the government you don't know and that's the thought and the other thing too is i don't think i think a lot of it too is i don't believe that people who are selling homeopathic remedies some of them i believe know exactly what they're doing but i sure. think a lot of people just don't no yeah. they honestly don't and no, you can't have that many people trying to deceive everybody else. They right. truly believe what they're telling you. Yeah, it's just you have to consider the source. And yeah. it's, I think it's one of those things to where we're more able to reject a cold piece of paper that has study results on it mm -hmm. than we are the face of our good friend. Yeah. Right. Yep. The power of a good narrative. So uh, just wrapping up on homeopathy here, uh, multiple studies done by multiple governments have found that there's no definable value. Has to take shovels. There you go. Um, if you'd like to learn more about this, we do. We will have links on the show notes. Cool. For you to go see. So next we're going to talk about essential oils. This is an interesting one for me. Um, being in the medical field, I will say this is one of those... This is one of those new remedies that has come about that... Uh, new, excuse me. Uh, they've been around since uh, 3000 to 2500 BC. Well, it's hip now. Okay. And uh, and it's even... Um, it's permeating the uh, medical professionals that I work with as well mm -hmm. are getting behind this and kind of selling it. By kind of selling, I mean they're definitely selling it. Um, yeah. I guess I'll let you go over the history there since you seem to be the... Uh, the history buff. Well, I'm the one reading the outline, apparently. So, Well, I mean, you're trying. <laughs> <laughs> so it's uh, commonly thought that the Egyptians are given uh, credit as the first culture use aromic extracts for beauty and care. Uh, culinary, culinary uses, spiritual and physical way, uh, well-being. Culinary? Culinary. Culinary. Cul culinary. Culinary. Is that... Is that how the... Uh, it's like a Canadian thing. <laughs> uh, sort of left-handed way to pronounce that. <laughs> I hate uh, both of you. It's, it's cool. I can say that both my parents are left-handed. Oh, are they? Yeah. Is that... Was yeah. your best friend in high school left-handed as well? <laughs> uh, no, probably not. Because uh, anyway, you can't trust the shifty left-handed people. what we're doing. Um... <laughs> He's probably right. I want to point that out. He's actually probably right. It's probably just that most of us are just dumbasses. Like how like everyone says Valentine's Day all the time, but it's Valentine's Day all the or time. Or old timers disease. Oh, yeah, old timers disease. I had disease. a five minute conversation with a trainee last month on the proper pronunciation of that, and it took five minutes for him to finally get it. It wasn't last month, it was a couple months ago. Oh jeez. God yeah, wasn't even putting you, in his medical. Can't be specific like that, man. Exactly. <laughs> wasn't even putting in his Alzheimer's or in his uh in his <laughs> medical history. He has old timers disease. Mm. Or was it Alzheimer's? It was Alzheimer's. Yeah. It's Alzheimer's. Yeah. Which given though uh, Now I will accept old timers disease. Yeah. Perfectly acceptable. Yeah, and it's and, and it makes sense. <laughs> given the population that typically has Alzheimer's disease. So um Depending on who are citing historical evidence, you can also find references to uh, uses of uh, essential oils in India much earlier. 
But uh, they really came back and started coming back into popularity in 1910 with Rene Maurice Gattefois, a French uh, cosmetic chemist who severely burned his hands and arms in an accidental lab explosion. I'm going to trust your pronunciation on that, given that you're Canadian. Right. Well, it's French-Canadian, so, and I was born in Quebec, so I am obviously the resident expert on these things. Dude, for sure. Oh, yeah, totally Culinary. shows. Do you speak French? Culinary. Uh, I know you're full of merit, so. I'm guessing merit is shit. <laughs> uh, he extinguished the flames, but he described as uh, both my hands were covered with rapidly developing gas gangrene. He submerged his burns in a large container of lavender oil. Now, I want to take a side note here on this. <clears throat> if you get a burn, one of the worst things you can do is cover it in oil. Sounds like a terrible thing to do. Uh, well, a very common home remedy for, remedy for burns. Butter. Right. Yeah. Uh, I actually went on a call. A lady dumped hot oil on her uh, lower face, chest, carrying a pot. Ooh. I get there. The fire department is opening bag of saline after bag of saline to rinse off, rinse off her skin. I go, do we want to go to the ambulance? Or I have more, you know, more bags of saline. And the firefighter turns and looks at me and goes, we think we should probably wash off the egg first. Egg? Oh. I look at him and go, did they run out of butter? <laughs> <laughs> she literally had egg, the raw egg, dumped all over her on a burn. Oh, Jesus. So that's open skin. Right. That's... Now, moist because you have raw egg, and egg is food. Well, Ergo... Have you ever looked at, you know why we cook eggs? <laughs> because there are plenty of organisms inside of yeah. the egg that will cause infection if oh, left yeah. on an open wound. This is bacteria party. Right. So, uh, yes, don't, don't, don't try. Don't. Rep, don't replicate this. Uh, Unless you're corn on the cob, then slather yourself. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> and so call 911. We'll be there. burns in a large container of lavender oil, reporting that just one rinse with lavender essence stopped the gasification of the tissue. Oh, so it's not if, – if you just burn yourself significantly, you just jump into a vat of lavender oil. Right. Now, this so, treatment was followed by profuse sweating and healing, which began the next day. Right. Hmm. So, well, I believe it. I'm sold. <laughs> uh, followed it up uh, with uh, Jean Valenet or <clears throat> Valenet is, side note real quick is anybody else envisioning the first Batman where dude fell into the uh, vat oh yeah green? Jack Nicholson yeah yep yeah. yes the entire time <laughs> thank you okay yeah. <laughs> yep he's a Parisian medical doctor and army surgeon who was also a colleague of Gattafois mm. He began to use essential oils with great success as antiseptics treating war wounds during the Indochina War from 1948 to 1959. Uh, he was in China treating war wounded when he ran out of his supply of antibiotics. Out of desperation, he began to use essential oils on the injured. He was amazed to see how well the essential oils fought infection, creating many lives saved due to the use of essential oils. Now, I'm not saying this didn't happen. I yeah. wasn't there. And I could see how, if you had a proper preparation of essential oils, that yes, you, there are probably ones that have antimicrobial effects and whatnot. Right. Yep. So, I mean, I'm not saying that there's no truth to the essential yeah. oil thing. I think that the truths that are there have been overinflated in the current love. For, for every person who is, uh, I'd say, mild-mannered and sort of explains the limitations of the product that they're selling in the purposes that it's intended for, uh, there are plenty who are willing to tell you that uh, this will uh, 
stop any and all diseases. Right. And that's the problem. Yeah. Well, it's not that, you know, this could be helpful. It's that this is the cure-all. The yeah. snake oil says. Right. And you should forego antibiotic treatments. Right. Because. Of the, this is yeah. ancient stuff. The Egyptians, Egyptians use this. And there's a conception that because it's ancient means it's better. Like we have forgotten knowledge. Yeah. Called an appeal to antiquity. Yeah. That's what that's oh, called. Interesting. Yeah. Nice. By the way, do we have whole crushed bee oil? <laughs> no, but. Uh, I think you should Google that real quick. I think we, we should now. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, well, in 1980, a French medical doctor, we seem to be really stuck in France on this, uh, Daniel Penuel, along with French biochemist, bio, really can, I can nail Penuel, but biochemist I'm going to stumble over, <laughs> Pierre Franchomme. It's not like you were about to say biocommunist, actually. Yeah, I is what I uh, investigated, uh, they're French, so they're biosocialists, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That's weird. I was going to say medical stuff. You get medical information and politics. <laughs> None of our information is not trustworthy. So uh, they uh, investigated and cataloged the medical properties over 270 oils. Uh, the book published in French in 1990, La Aromatherapie Exactement, quickly became a primary reference source for uh, secondary authors researching and writing the medical benefits of essential oils. Now, earlier we talked about double-blind studies mm -hmm. and yep. having multiple people study uh, what you're trying to prove, your hypothesis, right. to show that it is repeatable. When you have one source that everybody is referencing to then spread out or to write multiple books from, you've actually gone the opposite way from that. Right. <laughs> because we have no, we have no definite, we have no definitive proof that the original source is solid. Right. And this but now because you can say, there's 15 books that all say this. It yeah. gives the appearance that this is legitimate information. And really, it's just people cut and pasting, for lack of a better word. Right. Uh, you know, bad or terribly researched information. Uh, so one of the other one of the other things that I would like to point out, though, is when it comes to essential oils, and this is something that I've been particularly invested in uh, lately, I have yet to see a placebo-controlled double-blind study about essential oils. I have actually seen a ton of literature and a ton of different studies and experiments regarding essential oils, some of them purporting um, good outcomes, but they all fail what I would call um, my hallmarks for a good study, and that would be placebo control, double blind, low p-value. Right. There's no, place uh, no placebo being the biggest part, no control group right. being the biggest part. A lot of the benefits that are purported uh, can be attributed to the same benefits that we find in studies where they study the impact of stress on an individual, okay? And what we see there is we see things that a basically a pleasant smell or pleasant aroma can help people relax. That's not a terribly surprising concept or new. And then what we see from there is we see better rest, we see lower heart rates, we see lower blood pressure. What I have yet to see is anybody say, okay, this scent is an essential oil. This scent is not an essential oil. It's a it's a placebo. It's some other scent. And to be able to test the differences between those two groups to see if it has anything to do with an essential oil, or are we just seeing what we already know exists? And that is that people who are relaxed have lower heart rates and lower blood pressures. What 
what I would ask is that, so when you see a study that says, hey, you know, when people smell lavender, they have lower heart rate, blah, 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 when it's a lavender essential oil. What I would say, would it surprise you to know that if there was a smelly or noxious odor in the room, you would see the opposite effect? That surprised zero people. You can have uh, – In our sample size of three. Yeah, in our sample size of – Speaking uh, of noxious, noxious and smelly uh, therapy uh, – Yeah. Uh, scents in the room. Exactly. But that wouldn't surprise uh, a whole ton of people. And so, yeah, I, I don't see a lot of evidence uh, for essential oils. And what bothers me is recently there was an article where there's an ambulance service. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tri-state ambulance. Yeah. Uh, what they wanted to do is they wanted to switch out uh, the, the, you know, the doctor was concerned about the number of narcotics that they were administering to patients, um, which is a fair concern. I, especially in this day and age when we've kind of gone like, oh man, a lot of people are, you know, uh, ending up with uh, addictions to opioids or opiates, depending. I listened to that podcast. Yeah. I follow you. Um, and so the doctor uh, for this uh, ambulance company was uh, trying to figure out alternatives, and uh, they settled on trying essential oils. Um, now, you know, to to some effect, I'm I'm sure that uh, you know, like you said, it probably smells nice. There's probably is uh, something to the effect that it has on people. But is it better than just an ambulance that smells nice? You know, there's there's no real good data that shows that it has a you know that that particular essential oil that they are going to use uh, perform outperforms just a, you know based on the blind placebo control study. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, one of the other things that happens, and this happens frequently in medicine, is something seems like it will work just on the basis they look at the you know chemical structure and the impact that it should have based on just the you know, chemical structure that it has. Uh, and they say, well, this should work based on, you know, the things that we know. And then it turns out that it doesn't. This happens all the time in medicine. And uh, there are a lot of, uh, they're called in vitro studies that show that, uh, the you know, these, these chemical compounds, because they are chemicals, they are, you know, like they are pharmacological in some sense. Uh, they just don't, uh, pan out, even though it seems like based on these really simple scientific sort of uh, looks into it that they should. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, that's something that happens in medicine all the time. That's well, back when I started uh, sodium bicarbonate, yeah, uh, that was a first line drug in cardiac arrests because the working theory was your body becomes acidotic when your heart's not pumping. So, we were giving sodium bicarb every three minutes, just like car- uh, epi. Yeah. And as more information came along, they found that that was actually horribly yeah, it's, bad. It's, You're going too far the other direction. Uh, another example would be mass pants. Yeah. Yeah. Mass uh, stands for military anti-shock trousers, and they were originally used in the military. Go figure. I know. They were used in, uh, for uh, fighter pilots. Yeah. And I... I'm assuming they're still used because in that instance, they were very effective. Yeah, the fighter pilot suits actually do have bladders that inflate to push blood up back up to the head so they don't pass out when pulling Gs. Right. So if they go into a high-speed bank, they can actually force the blood away from their brain. No, no, Spencer's got something to say. Come on. <laughs> no, 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 pulling Gs. I like, is that is that what you learned, at, how to say it in uh, firefighters? Or not, uh, not, not firefighters. You got this, Spence. Come on. Yeah, come on, man. 
Fighter pilot school. Fighter pilot school. Yeah, with the Top Gun. Yeah. <laughs> so as you make a turn in a, in a jet a jet plane at high speeds, you could be by. It can actually jet. push the blood away from your brain, causing you to pass out. So they have these bladders and in, built into the suit that constrict the lower extremities. That way, more br- more blood is p- being pumped to your brain. They tried to translate that to civilian use on ambulances in emergency situations for when the patient has low blood volume due to traumatic injuries. And when they finally did a study on it, they actually found that not only was it not doing what they thought it would, which was push the blood back into the central system, giving you more blood to use, it was actually causing a huge detriment to the patients to the point that they stopped the study short. Because it was so bad. Yeah. No, I, I think that's one of the one, one of the critiques I have of uh, EMS in general is uh, we take something or you know our system takes something that seems like it would be a good idea and then you know we we kind of trial it out you know or we're trying to you know undo some of the damage like because like well this is what you know we think should work right um, you know like backboards for right. instance you know we it makes sense in some way. We're like, well, we'd splint a, you know, like if your arm were broke, we'd splint it. So if your back might be broke, we should put people on really hard boards and, you know, and uh, transport to them to the hospital so they can see. And it turns out that, you know, that doesn't work all that well. It actually causes more harm. Uh, right. Most of the time. You I mean, it's not so much that it isn't doing what we desired it to do. They are splinted in place, but the problem sure. is, is that the, secondary effects from being laying on a hard board for initially i mean years ago yeah hours yeah yeah you know yeah. and now it was it's one of the first things you do in the er is get them off get them off right. the board because you know what ends up happening is you get very severe pressure points yeah very quickly and actually we go into this in our uh, ems equipment episode yes one of our first episodes actually which will not sound near as good as this episode no it won't because i'm not on it exactly. hashtag science <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag Spencer Tiger. Yeah. Ooh. So Ooh. Um, now there is a uh, there is a very large corporation that is uh, well known in the essential oil industry, and they have uh, on their website they have uh, a list of things what to say and not say, and I found this kind of interesting because I think that the uh, list of things to say and not say. I always found to be a little contrary to what I was hearing from people who were using these products. Right. Uh, do say things like, uh, do refer to temporary emotions. This will lift your mood. It will reduce your irritability. What Chris was talking about a few minutes ago. Uh, do say, you do not or do use cosmetic claims. It cleanses. It improves appearance. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are really kind of vague statements. They're junk terms. Yeah. Uh, use uh, words such as health, wellness, supports, and maintains. You refer to general body parts for and systems for heart health or supports the respiratory system. You know, it, it goes on and on and on. But then there's a bunch of don't claims. Mm-hmm. Don't use disease claims. So the official statement from the company is you cannot claim that this will cure disease. Yeah. You know, uh don't use words such as disease, illness, cure, treat, repair, chronic. You know, don't refer, refer to any disease or illness such as cancer, diabetes, autism, cold flu, or cold or flu. Uh, 
you know, don't remind, don't recommend a product to augment or a therapy or drug. So on their own website, it says this isn't supposed to replace or enhance anything else you're taking. Right. And this is kind of one of the things, this is another thing that when we're talking about how to think, most of your medications or treatments, think about Tylenol, Advil, Pepto-Bismol. How do you go and get those, Mark? You go buy them at the store. Oh, buy them, yes. Yeah, you just go. Sure, I buy them. <laughs> you, you buy them over the counter, you know. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> you steal them, you put them in your pockets, you walk out the door and hope the sensors don't work. Okay? <laughs> that's that's one way of obtaining them. Potato, potato. <laughs> Culinary, <laughs> culinary. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it needs to raise a little bit of alarm when there's a company that essentially refuses that in other words you don't see these uh, you do, now you can find essential oils on the shelf but the main company the major company that we're referencing here does not sell them on the shelf no and the main reason being is that it's a lot easier to sell when it's from your trusted friend mm-hmm. so they use a multi-level marketing uh deal it's essentially a uh and i might get flack for this but it boils down to it's pretty much a pyramid scheme this is the new age of pyramid schemes are illegal Exactly. And so they had to change it. So now it's a multi-level marketing scheme. And basically what it is, is you have typically your friends, and we all have that Facebook friend, um, that purchases stock, that purchases some essential oils uh, from a company. And that is how that company is getting their money. That person then takes those essential oils and sells them to you. So your friend is now personally invested in the sale of these essential oils. Now, a company will move less volume this way in theory, but in the end, they move more volume because the company, one, avoids liability because the company is no longer saying these things. Your friend is. And even though they have official statements on the website, it's... They can't control what you say to your friends. Absolutely. And... And a lot of times when your friends are talking to you, they'll give you very strong anecdotal evidence. Right. And here's one of the things you have to be careful of. So a lot of – there's a lot of research out there. A lot of people have been worried about, can I get in trouble for recommending an essential oil or really any of these remedies to my friends for something? And the term that comes up is unauthorized practice of medicine. Okay. As long as you avoid diagnosing somebody, you can generally avoid being getting in trouble. So in other words, if I say, hey, Spence, I think you have asthma. You should take this essential oil. That's a problem. But you can give advice. So if Spence says, hey, I have asthma, and I say, hey, I have an essential oil that works for me, you should try it. That's not an unauthorized practice. There's no charge that comes with that. However... It doesn't necessarily protect you from all forms of civil suit. So let's say Spencer takes your advice and he takes it. You may not get hit with unauthorized practice, but Spencer may have a case to sue you for his medical bills. Well, let's let's back up to the gentleman who died. Yes. Okay. Could that person be charged criminally with negligent homicide? It it depends on on what the person said. If the person didn't diagnose him, then there's less of a case for that because specifically unauthorized practice revolves around diagnosing someone when you're not authorized to do so. Okay. And, um, and it, it can also, um, it can also, because you're giving advice, not yeah. professional 
Exactly. You're not telling someone what their disease is. You're giving them advice. Right. And that's technically not covered. However, that doesn't block you from a civil suit. Right. Someone could just as easily sue you for that as well. And so what we're now seeing on the website you were talking about is ways to now avoid civil suits. So as long as you are general and you don't make specific claims, it's harder to be sued. So they even have a section on here, and this is where I kind of start having a problem with this. Disease claim. Right. So it fights a cold or flu. Don't say that. Yeah. Do say supports the immune system. And this is where it starts getting a little murky for me, where you say, right. okay, well, now you're telling them how to avoid yeah. making the claim with still making the claim, giving the, rep the representation of the claim. Yeah. You know, helps fight obesity, helps with, a, helps with your weight loss plan, you know, uh, helps with ADD, ADHD, mm. right? Helps with focus and staying on task. You know, this is kind of a, to me, this is getting a lot into a lot more murky area of yeah. making your claims. Yeah. Right. So. You know what my biggest fear about essential oil is? is that this, right? Well, is that someday <laughs> they prove that there is an essential oil that works and works well. Right. And, and here, here's why it bothers me. It doesn't bother me that there's now a new medication out there. I'm all for anything we find that can make us healthier. Mm -hmm. That's fine. What bothers me is that this would then justify and embolden everything else. And because this is going going the wrong way. Now, the company that, that you'd mentioned that has that website that you've been reading off of, uh, they have said in the past that, hey, we're going to be focusing a lot of our funding and efforts on research right. going forward. Yeah. That's a problem because now what you're telling me is you've sold first, research later. And this goes back to the whole thing is if you have that same skepticism about a pharmaceutical company, how come you don't have the same problem with this other company right. that is trying to sell you something and then worrying about the research later? Apply your skepticism evenly. Yeah. Well, that That's, and if they're going to start doing their own studies after the fact of selling it to you, then the p-value needs to be looked at very closely on those studies. Right. And the institutional bias that's going to come along with that mm -hmm. is going to be very suspect in my mind. Sure. I mean, I, I guess the other uh, – one of the other things that I'd say though is if we, I, you try and apply the law of charitability to you know people and things. So if they go like – Okay, we had these studies and we were selling them off and, you know, they they were bad studies or they weren't really high quality studies. Uh, yeah, but we wanted to move a market, you know, move a product. Mm -hmm. uh, and people go like, yeah, these actually are really bad studies. Like you guys should try and make, you know, uh, you know, actually put out like better studies. Um, then it's also fair for them to go like, hey, you know what? We are going to do that in the meantime. Don't say these things. That's yeah. true. Because uh, we can't claim that they do any of that. And that's, I, th I mean, that's that's a fair, uh, it's a fair thing to do. Uh, and, you know, like like you said, you know, like make better studies. Use, place you know, double-blind placebo, just like drug companies have to go through. You have a long process. There's a long process that has to be done that shows that they're actually uh, effective, you know, to the standards of medications. And in our first pack, the, the first episode, we talked about how, you know, sometimes that's kind of a, a seems to be a fairly low bar. Um, you know, come meet that, then be medicine. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and then uh, another thing that the studies will do for you, yeah, properly done studies, is make sure that whatever you're studying is doing what you think it's going to. Yeah. Example of that would be Viagra. <laughs> yeah. What was Viagra originally uh, developed for? Blood pressure. Right. Yeah. Bring blood pressure down. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it does. That yeah, does. <laughs> <laughs> but it also has a side effect. Yeah. That was much more profitable than blood pressure medication. Another one and is Rogaine. How? Oh, gosh. We talked about this in a past episode. What yeah. was Rogaine's initial use? Uh, Sleep? No. No, I think no. it was antihypertensive also. No. Yeah. I'd have to look that back up. I can't remember right now. But it was found that when used, it increased hair growth. And guess what it's being sold for now? Now, these are two legitimate, studied, properly studied and reviewed medications that are being used accurately. Sure. So, talking about studies, there have been some studies, and we'll put a link to these studies that are put out by the uh, by the NIH, National Institute of Health. Mm-hmm. But we're going to just take a couple looks at uh, a couple look at or look at a couple of these. The first one was reviewing uh, the effects of essential oils mouthwash versus chlorhexidine mouthwash with respect to plaque and parameters of gingival inflammation. Those seem like important things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, they went on to PubMed, uh, Medline, or uh, Cochrane uh, Cochrane Central databases to search for studies uh, up to and including September 2010 to identify appropriate articles. So they went back and they did uh, post-review of studies that had already been done. Okay. Okay. Sort of like a meta-analysis of studies. Okay. Uh, So... Comprehensive search was designed and articles were independently screened for in, for eligibility by two reviewers. So that not just one person looking at it, so that cuts down on your bias ability. That's, uh, that's a lot of work for two people. Yeah, it is. <laughs> well, it was only 300 and, 390 unique articles. <clears throat> I'm sure that was some fantastic reading. Which too. I'd like to point out, according to your source material here, Mark, only 19 of those 390 articles met the eligibility criteria. Right. Which goes to show you... How many articles are out there that... On a respected site yeah. that we talked about earlier, that it is a fine site, but they do not review the information. They just make sure that it's presented in a proper format. Now, given these 390 articles could have been culled for other reasons. In other words, just not pertinent to this study as right. opposed to done poorly. So I want to put that out there. So... Uh, <laughs> Look at you always being charitable. Yeah, I try. <laughs> so uh, these studies showed that uh, the chlorhexidine mouthwash provided significantly better effects regarding plaque control than the uh, essential oil mouthwash. And I'm trying to remember what the essential oil mouthwash is, but it sounds horrendous. Ugh. I remember when I heard it, it was literally like gargling oil, like cooking oil. Oh, um, or nice. Something along those lines. So, uh, it, take a look at that. It was it. it I, I heard it with some. I, I know somebody who did it, and they were describing it. And I just felt it sounded horrendous. I figured that you're probably your plaque and gingival inflammation went down just because you weren't eating anything because you were nauseous constantly. <laughs> so there's no significant reduction of the gingival inflammation found between the two. So out of all these reviews, uh, regardless of the claims, they found that the chlorhexidine mouthwash. Uh, was better, much more reliable. Okay, and you know the standard standardized formula of uh, essential oil mouthwash appeared to be reliable. Alternative to chlorhexidine mouthwash with respect to parameters of gingival gingival inflammation. So, yes, it was as good as chlorhexidine, 
for gingival inflammation, but it was not near as good for plaque control. The other thing, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, but you won't hear that part. What you'll hear is, well, they did this study and they found it to be as good. Right. And that's why uh, reading a study is important instead of just reading the headline. Last episode, we talked a little bit about a study called the ALPS study, which was amiodarone, lidocaine, placebo study that we did in uh, our field. Amiodarone and lidocaine are two medications we give during a car- – well, for many reasons, but during a cardiac arrest, uh, we give them for certain non-pulse-producing rhythms. And we were trying to find out if one was better than the other. And the study came out and actually said that not only is one not better than the other, the immediate conclusion was that neither was much better than placebo in terms of hospital discharge. Right. In other words, people who had essentially died, and we started CPR and we gave them these medications, had no higher incidence of being discharged from the hospital than those who received a placebo. And immediately, some of the, I would say some of the more vocal and perhaps more youthful paramedics were immediately like, oh, given that there's no reason to give these drugs anymore. There's no reason to give them. But what the study does point out, and I do have it pulled up here, uh, but it does point out that in its conclusion that overall, yes, but if you look at a subset, the witnessed arrest, in other words, where people were visibly seen by a bystander to go down and die, essentially, those people had a significantly improved discharge rate when given amiodarone or lidocaine than those in the placebo group. Still, they were equal in effectiveness. Yes, the amiodarone were equal in effectiveness, but they were better than placebo in that group. However, because the study was not specifically designed for that group, they did not draw a conclusion there. They did note that that needs more study. Right. So the correct thing to do then is keep giving them. Mm-hmm. And, that's what, and that's what we've done. But, for, but there's a lot of paramedics. In fact, there's a lot of synopsis. Uh, synopsis? Synopsis. Synopsis. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go with that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, on, uh, on many other articles, uh, there's many articles about the study out there that completely omit that very important part mm-hmm. of the study. And that's led a lot of paramedics. In fact, the only place that have actually been able to find that portion is the actual study itself. Right. Well, again, saying that is a bigger splash than explaining the whole concept. Absolutely. And there's uh, one of my favorite uh, things ever was uh, something said by John Oliver, not Spencer Oliver, John Oliver. Um, He's a comedian. He has a uh, show. And he talks about... Two things I don't have. (laughs) Comedy. Uh, Show. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you kind of do now. You're a guest on our show. Does that count? No. No, it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But he has a really good point in that he says that there's actually – there is pressure for studies to make a good headline Mm because it's really hard to get funding. And I forget the exact example he gives, but, you know, something says – like a study that has the title, nothing's up with gluten, doesn't get a lot of headlines. And the funding don't come with with those kind of headlines. Uh, So there is – that's why it's so important to have these bias-blocking techniques in your studies is because – those are the kind of things that uh, can create a bias. Fun fact, they should have used tea tree oil and peppermint. Yes. Yeah. That's what they use for the mouthwash. Well, they're, to be fair, the internet has many essential oils that used for mouthwash, but tea tree is a very common one, and peppermint. Oh, okay. Ooh, yeah. Peppermint. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, for that fresh, clean feeling. So uh, the second one I'm going to go with is a, a second study that we're going to take a look at in the last one. Uh, were observational studies that suggest that high diet uh, diets high in uh, high in omega three long chain polyunsaturated fat acids, 
may protect, may protect people from cognitive de decline and dementia. Now, I remember seeing this when it came out. That people became yeah. kind of yeah. a news story, you know, that, mm -hmm. well, if you start taking fish oil, then you won't get dementia and Alzheimer's. It was on NPR. Was it really? Yeah. Wow. Were they for or against it? Were they just reporting They were it? just reporting the story, yeah. but they were very positive about it. Really? So, they, they actually did a study on this. So, or actually, they pulled studies on this from the Alawa, the Cochrane Dementia and Cognitive Improvement uh, Group Specialized Register. Uh, searching for the terms uh, omega-3, uh, PUFA, which is polyunsatur polyunsaturated fatty acids, uh, fatty acids, fatty acid, fish, linseed, I'm not going to pronounce that one or that one. Two other types of oils that nice. are fish-based. Uh, wow, those are big words. Yeah, they are. <laughs> I'm going to go with crushed whole fish. <laughs> <laughs> Now, when we talk about this, we're not talking about fish sauce you get with your dinner. No. Which is delicious at the Chinese restaurants or the Asian restaurants. So, the reviewers sought and extracted data from instant, uh, on instant dementia, cognitive function, and safety and adherence, either from published reports or by contacting the investigators from the original data. So, regardless of what the original study said... Yeah. Once they back, went back and reviewed these studies and they really got down to the nuts and bolts of it... Um, they did not show any sort of effect on dementia. Yeah. This involved 300 or 3,221 participants. Uh, that was no different between the omega-3 and the placebo group in a mini mental state examination score at final follow-up. Yeah. And they were following 24 or 40 months of intervention. So this was a significant amount of time of taking this medication or taking this oil that should have had an effect by that point. Yeah. You know, so... The same thing we've been talking about for this this whole time. Yeah. Make sure you're using trusted sources. Make sure the people or the, the sources that you're using are accurately representing what you think they are. And be skeptical about everything. Right. You know, it's, it's okay when your friend tells you that a particular brand of iced tea is using urine in their in their production. To go look that up and find out what the truth is. What if it's a meme on Facebook and I really want to share it? Oh, share away. Oh, okay. Yeah, don't worry. I mean, fair game. Is it funny? Yeah. It sort of is funny. <laughs> so. Iced pee. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good Lord. Oh, God. Uh, think this is a good place to bring it down? Well, I think we're running a little long. Yeah. Yeah, we're, uh, we're I think we're up over an hour mark. Um, I, I really wanted to get to vaccines. Right. That, that's kind of one of the big ones. But um, I think vaccines by itself could be like part three. Yeah. Yeah. Without Spencer. I am a little, uh, I got to say, I'm proud of these uh, last two episodes. I mean, they've given us hashtag science tiger, which I think is going right. to, I think it's going to like hang around for a while. And I think uh, we're going to walk away with hashtag iced pee. As well. <laughs> that one's going to stick to us like you would not believe. Oh, goodness. So uh, if you want to reach out to us, we're on Facebook at Medical Stuff. We're on the tweets at uh, Medside Stuff, M-E-D-S-I-D-E-S-T-U-F-F. -E you can email us at MedsideStuff at Yahoo.com. Uh, we're also on Twitter at Medical Stuff 52. Check us out on iTunes and Google Play. Also Stitcher and YouTube. Right. So have a good evening. Thanks for listening and toast. toast. English muffin. <laughs>
<laughs> it's better. <laughs>